Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. Okay, today I have a special guest, very special guest, good friend of mine, and someone that um, has made, has covered a lot of ground in the area of uh, apologetics in recent years. I'm talking about Cy Ten Bruggenkate. He is the author and overseer of proofthatgodexists.com. Org. .org, sorry. No proofthatgodexists.org. And he's also a good uh, editor. He just edited me. <laughs> he's also the main guy in the video, How to Answer a Fool. The Fool. How to Answer the Fool. He's <laughs> very good at catching my mistakes. And Sai, if, if people want to check out How to Answer the Fool, where can they find that? You can find um, that and many other videos that I've done at my website, proofthatgodexist.org. I also have a YouTube channel under the same name and a YouTube channel called Answer Anyone, where I've uploaded some new videos recently. And about these new videos, one that I've, I've noticed is after How to Answer a Fool, now you got How to Answer Matt Walsh. And I know this is something that you've been wanting to do for a while. Tell us a little about that project. Well, I've uh, had the intention of uploading a bunch of videos of how to answer specific people and specific issues. And um, as you're aware, not too long ago, um, Matt Walsh was interviewed by Ben Shapiro, and the, the topic of uh, abortion and gender issues came up, and Matt Walsh said that we do not appeal to the Bible when we deal with people regarding abortion or regarding gender issues. And, of course, you know, from a Christian perspective, that's absolute folly. So um, uh, my friend John Speed encouraged me to write a blog article on our blog, Gospel Spam, and I did respond to Matt Walsh, and I hopefully, you know, in a clear biblical manner, I exposed the problem with his position and he decided to talk about me on a show for like 20 minutes, I think ridiculing my response to him. And um, so that really motivated me to uh, do a video response to Matt Walsh. So the first video of the series, um, Answer Anyone, is how to answer Matt Walsh. It's over an hour long, and um, I encourage people to check that out on the Answer Anyone channel. And I hope to do many more of those videos, but I did not expect shortly after that my mother to die. And things have been going kind of crazy since then, but I do hope to get back to it sometime. But um, I know, Eddie, that I've been following your life as well, and uh, you know what it's like when there's upheaval, and uh, we just have to soldier on and um, do the things that God would have us do when he would have us do them. Amen. And I know that a lot of people are looking forward to more videos in your series, and so you know, hopefully we will be able to see some of those soon. But tonight is a little different. Tonight we are going to be talking about something other than apologetics, and that might be a little upsetting to many who who follow Psy and, and clicked on this podcast because they wanted to hear some apologetics. But there's something else that has kind of been on Psy's mind. We were driving somewhere today, and we just got to talking in the car, and this subject came up that Psy was talking about it, and I thought, you know what, this would be really interesting for people to hear about this. This isn't something that a lot of guys who are, you know, famous YouTube apologists or evangelists or guys who are kind of very well known for being out there in public, not something you hear them talking about. And so I asked Sai if he'd be willing to to speak about this publicly, and he very graciously said, why not? And so Sai, if you could, if you could just kind of you know, give us a little review on what we were talking about. For those who didn't have the opportunity of, of riding in my uh, Hyundai today, what was our conversation all about? What were you talking about this morning? First of all, I want to thank you. I'm actually staying in your home, and we've done a few evangelism trips in the 
just the few days that I've been out here. Am I your first guest on this show? You are the first guest on the Romans Road. Wow, that's quite an honor. <laughs> and of course, we have a private conversation, and the first thing you want to do is make this conversation public. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I shared with you the fact that I really want this to be public because a lot of people do see the evangelism that we do, and um, you know they they have a glorified view of what we do. These guys are you know the the stars of evangelism. And you know when people say to me, um, "Sai, I'm, I'm a really big fan," I say, "Raise your standards." And it's because I know what I feel when I'm about to go evangelize. And I you know I share this with a lot of people that go out and do this. And this is something I shared with you prior to this year, when I went out evangelizing. This is the question: How many times did I look forward to it? Mm. And prior to this year, my answer was never. I never look forward to evangelizing. And I remember there are times that um, I'd be with an evangelism team and it would be raining, it would be pouring with rain. And everybody in the team is just waiting, you know, wishing and praying that the rain would clear up so that we could go evangelize. And I'm hoping that it keeps raining so we don't have to go. <laughs> and you know what happens every time? The rain always clears up and we have to go evangelizing. Now, now the thing is, I, I had confessed that I never look forward to it, but every time we're done evangelizing, I'm always rejoicing. So there's something that happens when we're evangelizing that, you know, it just changes your complete attitude about it. And I love it when it's done. I, you know, I love thinking about it afterwards. But like I say, up until this year, I've never looked forward to it. You know, what's interesting about that is, is like I said, I haven't really heard many people talk about this publicly because, you know, who wants to admit that it's, it's something they don't want to do for whatever reason. But there's another guy who's very well known who I've seen go through the same thing, and that's our friend Ray Comfort. And people are always surprised when they find out about that. I was actually with Ray once when he invented an app he has, which translates his good person tests into different languages. And so he just developed this app, and he want the GM28, that's what it is. And I think it's, you could still find it on the app store. But basically, it's a good person test in a bunch of different languages. And you go up to a person who speaks a different language and you just play this thing. And it kind of walks them through the, the good test. And so he had just developed it and he wanted to test it. So we went out to a local uh, Home Depot. And there, there were, you know, this place was kind of known. There were always a bunch of uh, Spanish-speaking people out front. And he wanted to go try this. And before he went... I was kind of watching him, and he was really nervous looking. And I was asking him, "So what's up?" And he he says, "I I kind of nervous. I don't I don't know if I should. I don't know about doing this." And I laughed so hard because here's like the guy who's the example of boldness for it seems like the entire entire world of Christianity, and he's afraid to go and you know do do this thing. And and it was actually encouraging to me because it made me realize, you know what, he is human just like the rest of us and all of us struggle with these issues, whether it's fear or just complacency or whatever it is. Someone I know, they, they basically admitted to me, you know what, it's hard for me to evangelize because I just don't like people. And as much as we kind of cringe at that, you know, when we're honest with ourselves, we got to admit, you know what, I, I feel those same emotions sometimes as well. So I think this is just a, this is just a, a great thing to talk about. And the reason I want to share it, too, is because I think that there's people at home thinking, you know, I don't want to evangelize, and they're waiting for the desire to evangelize. Mm. And if you're at home waiting for that desire, it might never happen, because it never happens to me. Yeah. I don't go out because I want to. It's something that, you know, I'm compelled to do. It's something that I have to do. So if you're at home waiting for that urge to evangelize, you know, I'm, I'm afraid you'll probably never do it. And if, if that's your motivation to, to evangelize, then... Um, you know, I think, I think that's a problem. That's one of the reasons that I want to do this show and talk about this. 
So Sai, take us through what might be like a, a typical feeling or thought that goes through your mind. So, so let's say it's in the morning and you know at 10 o'clock we're going to go out to this college and we're going to talk to people. What is it you're thinking? How is it you're feeling during that time? You know, you talked about it's raining outside. What are you thinking when you're looking at those raindrops and all these guys around you? And, you know, it's almost go time. What is it sometimes that you're kind of experiencing at that time? And how is it that you push through it and just just go? You know, I don't think I have a specific thought. I have just a gen- general thought that I don't want to do this because, you know, I'm in a van with a bunch of guys and I'm having a good time. I'm ha- not having anybody yell at me. I'm not having anybody out there thinking I'm a freak. I'm not thinking that what I say might dishonor God. I'm not thinking any of those things. And I'm thinking that if if the weather clears up and I have to go through this, then I'm going to deal with all those things. You know, and the interesting thing is I've done a lot of open-air preaching. I've handed out a lot of tracts. I would prefer to open-air preach than to hand out a tract. That, that was my history is that I hated handing out tracts because that was more personal. That if you try to hand a tract to a person, they hold up their hand and, you know, you think, oh, no, this guy thinks I'm an idiot. And I actually got personally offended sometimes when people didn't take a tract. And what's very interesting about that is how many times have people tried to hand me something and I said, no, thanks. And I haven't thought twice about them. But I'm thinking that the person refuses a tract for me is thinking that I'm this or that. And, you know, there's pride involved with it. I remember the very first time that I did anything out in the open air. So with my friend Dustin and we were in North Carolina and it was kind of a cool day that day. And I had no problem telling people walking past me, you should be wearing a jacket today. You really should be wearing a jacket. But do you think I could tell them that they need, that they need Jesus as their Lord, that they really need Jesus as Lord? The problem is that the week before that, there was somebody at that campus calling women, you know, bad names for wearing short skirts mm-hmm. and yelling at them and, you know, giving Christianity a very bad name. So you show up at the campus and they think you're that. And, you know, I don't have that at home. I don't have people coming up to me thinking that I'm a freak because of what somebody said the week before. So you have to compensate for the person that came out, you know, the week before, explain that you're not them. And it's just, it's an uncomfortable feeling. And I'm saying, in the van, I'm comfortable. And I'm thinking, well, now I have to go out of my, you know, as Ray would say, the comfort zone. You know, but by the grace of God, thankfully, we end up doing it. So I've been in similar situations. And, and, you know, you mentioned not having a problem telling someone, uh, put on your jacket, as opposed to put on the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. And with me, I've had to work through a lot of issues just concerning the fear of man. I was raised in a home where not even beginning to think about religion, we were just very private. We were personal. We didn't talk a whole lot about much that can be considered confrontational. And we're just a very private family. And then in church, I was in the Catholic church before I was saved. And in that church, people just didn't talk about religion. It was just something you did on Sunday, and it wasn't something, even when church folk would get together, they wouldn't really be talking about church stuff or the Bible or anything like that. And so when I became a Christian, that was one of the things I just started seeing about myself, that that wasn't a good place to be if I was going to be talking to people about Christ. And so in my own life, I had to basically deal with a lot of issues just concerning the fear of man. You know, we don't want to look stupid. We don't want to be thought of as weird. We don't want to be awkward. And anyone who's a Christian living the Christian life in a society that hates God, they're going to be seen as weird. They're going to be seen as different. And so I believe it's just a normal part of being a Christian that you're going to feel super different from the rest of the world, you know, and and the fear of man is going to come into play on that. So have you ever thought about those kind of things just concerning the fear of man and how we as Christians are to deal with that? Somebody uh, sent me an email, I think it was about a year ago now, and they're writing a book, and they wanted to know, 
they wanted a short quote from me as to why more pastors don't go out in the street. And I said, I can answer that very simply, two reasons, fear and pride. And the reason that I could answer that question is because I battle it every time that I go out. Mm. Now, one of the questions you're asking me, how do I push through that? And you're not going to like my answer. Find yourself an Eddie Roman. <laughs> I know you, you chuckle at that, but the thing is you need, like we were working at Living Waters all week and, and it was grueling. You know, you're doing this thing where we're asking all these questions and we were both tired. You were tired from your work. I was tired from my work. I mean, you get up at four in the morning to fight through that LA traffic to get to work. And Eddie says, let's go to Oceanside and evangelize. I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have done it. I need an Eddie Roman. So here's the thing. And, and the thing is, you know, you think, well, you would have done it with your son or maybe you wouldn't have gone. But the, the thing to get through this is to get like-minded brothers mm-hmm. and to share, you know, your fears, to share your uh, reluctance to go and do it. And then I think the Lord does that through teamwork, that we encourage each other. You know, I think to go out by yourself, I think it's probably it's not wise anyways, because if something happens, you need somebody to be call 911. But, you know, find a church where there's people that are interested in evangelism and go with them. And I think that if people love the Lord, they love the lost, and they love you, that they're going to help you with that. Because I think that too many times that people go out on the street and they think, well, I have to be the guy, I have to be the front, you know, the runner, I have to answer all these questions. But I would encourage people just to go. Find someone like an Eddie Roman and just go with them and just watch. And if the person loves you, they will let you just watch. And then it might be that you might read a scripture verse the next time, or then you might actually talk to somebody. But that's what encourages me to do it, to go out with people like Eddie, watch them do it, and I'm thinking, okay, now I want to talk to somebody. So that's what I would encourage you to do. That's what helps me push through it, is to go with people who are going to do it, despite their reluctance, despite their fear, and despite you know the pride that is... Um, weighing us all down. Well, I was very happy to find a Saiten Bruggenkate to God evangelizing today. So uh, yeah, no, I could totally relate. The first time I ever went out evangelizing, I actually didn't evangelize at all. I, I was in Vegas and a friend of mine said, hey, you got to meet this guy, Bobby. He's crazy. He goes out and he hands out tracks to people. And I remember just walking down the strip behind this guy and just being in awe as he's handing out gospel tracks. You know, it's the simplest thing in the world now, but looking back, it was just amazing, you know? And you can, you'll you'll sit in church for many years and you'll learn great truths and great theology, hopefully if you're in a good church, but nothing can replace finding someone who is out following a great commission and evangelism wherever they're at and just watching and and learning by example. You know, for the most part, it's going to be very simple stuff that anyone can do, whether that be handing out a tract or starting a conversation. And, And as simple as that is, it is really hard when you've never seen anyone do it before, when you're intimidated, when you're always having all this influence of the world telling you don't do that, you can't do that. So all of us definitely need an example. And it it definitely doesn't need to be someone like Sai, who is an expert in taking apart arguments and things. It's just someone who is just going to do it. And so I totally agree with you there that you just got to find someone who is willing to go out and um, just tag along. Was that Bobby McCreary you were talking about? When was I talking about? You said that you, the guy handing out tracks, that the fellow named Bobby, was that Bobby McCreary? No, this was a, this was another Bobby. I have no idea what he's doing now. But no, it wasn't Bobby McCreary, but, but that wouldn't have surprised me. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe I didn't know who it was. But one thing I did share with you is that up until this year, I never looked forward to evangelizing. Uh-huh. But 
Tony Miano, a, a friend of yours, a yeah. dear brother, brother of yours that used to work with Living Waters, he invited me this year to go to a law enforcement memorial outreach back in May in Washington, D.C. And in that group was Tony, and it was Bobby, and it was myself, and there was you know, a, a few other dear brothers. And for the first time in my life, I was looking forward to going out. I was excited about it. And I really don't know why, but I think it's because over the years that Tony and Bobby and myself, that we're really on the same page. Mm. And, you know, I, I love the brothers that I evangelized with in the past, but I think that, you know, we've had certain differences in our approach. And I think that discomfort might have been subconscious. But the law enforcement outreach, I loved it. And I loved it even before we did any preaching there. But something very interesting in the law enforcement outreach, too, for the first time I've ever seen it, is that the people that we were evangelizing to were actually happy that they were that we were there because the law enforcement community gets a lot of opposition and we had signs that said law enforcement lives matter and, and they loved us and they were and they were very friendly with us. But even before that, I think it's you know finding like-minded brothers who are out there to love the lost, and you know I really enjoy doing it and I enjoy being out here with you and um, you know I think it's important of course to pray before we go out. I remember um, one time I was uh, um, evangelizing with a group and. It was a crazy crowd, and this this one fellow, he's getting a whole bunch of hecklers, and I love hecklers. I love dealing with hecklers, and he was a little bit flustered, so you know he encouraged me to get on the box. So he stepped down, and I got on the box, and it went all right, but it was different, and it was different this time because I didn't have anybody pray for me before I got up, mm. and I said at that point, I will never do this again, that I don't care how many people leave in the crowd, that I will not step on that box without somebody praying for me. And I think that's very important to do before you go out and evangelize, get someone who's like-minded, pray about what you're going to do, and uh, trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you in your work. I still remember, I mean, one of the things that I like to encourage my brothers before we go out and do something like this is when uh, Elisha was uh, with his servant, and uh, they were surrounded, and they were in, you know, about to go into battle, and Elisha's servant was was afraid. And Elisha prayed to God that God would open his servant's eyes. And this is what he said in 1 Kings 6, verse 16. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Mm. And I think when you go out and you see, you know, a bunch of hostile people, a bunch of people who don't want you there, but when you recognize that you're representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I think that's very encouraging. And that helps you when you're out there that, you know, what can they do? What can they do to you? You know, we're representing the king. Now, you bring up the, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And one of the things I've noticed in your videos, in your debates, and, and this is when you're both when you're teaching Christians and also when you're talking to unbelievers, you refer to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. You, you, that's, that's one of, it's, it seems like one of the, the common phrases that people will hear when they're listening to you, Jesus Christ is Lord. How does the, the Lordship of Christ, how does that motivate your evangelism efforts? It seems like there's a lot of people in churches and they would agree with Jesus Christ being Lord, but in reality, it's not like they're submitting themselves to the will of Christ on a regular basis. So, so when you think about the term Jesus Christ is Lord, how would you say that affects your evangelism efforts? You know, I was looking at that uh, question because you did send them to me minutes before we went <laughs> on air here. And, um, you know, I would like to say that the Lordship of Jesus Christ affects every aspect of my life, not just my evangelism, that he is Lord, he is King, and that I want everything that I do in my life to be a representation of, of his lordship, of his, his kingship. And I try to honor him in doing that. Now, of course, we fail. You know, we're sinners. But the lordship of Jesus Christ should affect everything that we do. 
And I, I like to uh, quote uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And if you recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, then how can it not affect every one of your thoughts, every word out of your, your mouth? Now, I'm not here saying that I do this, you know, the best way. Um, I'm saying, but that's the thing that we need to lean on. One of the things that I constantly pray is, Lord, help me to keep my mind stayed on you. And then, of course, that will help you in your evangelism, but it will help you in every aspect of your life. And I encourage, you know, people out there to pray for me, to pray for Eddie, to pray for yourself and all the brothers and sisters, you know, to help us to keep our mind stayed on him, because that is what God is going to use in our efforts, you know, um, to please him and to serve him. You know, I, I did send you these questions a few minutes before I turned on the record button, but I was able to do that because I've seen you on the box and I've seen you deal with way harder questions in way less time, so I knew it wouldn't be a problem. That question, how does Jesus Christ being Lord affect your evangelism, the, the thing that brought that to mind was just our conversation this morning. And I'm listening to you and I'm basically listen, listening to a guy saying, I don't always like to do this. I don't always want to do this but I do it. And I just thought that is only something that someone would say if they truly are living a life where Jesus Christ is their Lord. Because we don't do things that we don't want to do for an unimportant reason. We don't obey a master if we don't really think about that master. And so one thing I've always appreciated about you, Sai, is the fact that you do consider Jesus Christ as Lord, and it's very clear you know I'm not going to like you talking good about me. I'm just returning the favor <laughs> for right now. Well, I just wanted to add that um, if you do anything and you look back at what you've done and you did not recognize Christ as Lord in what you've done, mm. those are the kind of things that are going to haunt you. You know, of course, uh, Jesus forgives us for our sins, but we don't want to displease him. And that's why, you know, it's it's good to start with that view in mind that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because if you do something, anything, you look back and say, well, I didn't recognize him as Lord here, then, you know, that, those are the kind of things that are going to trouble you. So, you know, I think before we go out and do anything that, you know, instead of seeking forgiveness for our failures, you know, we have to try and pray that we recognize him as Lord before we do the things that he would have us do. I think it's important to start with that in mind. And I also think it's important to keep that in mind all the time. You know, I've had friends who have gotten into evangelism for, you know, the right reasons, because Christians are supposed to. But then over time, I've seen them become more in love with getting another notch on their belt, getting another, leading another person to the Lord with the sinner's prayer, or winning an evangelism argument. And as much as I hate to admit this, I've had experienced those kind of things myself where I get done with talking to someone and I'm, I'm more joyful about the fact that I won an argument or I explained something than I am that this person in front of me is now closer to Christ in their knowledge. And so I've, I've definitely experienced those kind of feelings where we can do evangelism, but we can definitely mess up the motive in the process of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I do believe that's the case. But um, one beautiful thing about even our failures, even our mistakes, is that God can strike a straight blow with a bent stick, mm. and we're all bent sticks. Now, if I think it's it's important that we do recognize that we do have failures, and that should not prevent us from going up, because that's one of the reasons, again, why I want to do this show on this topic, because people are at home thinking, well, I have to have the best motivation. I have to have the purest motivation. That's what we desire but the thing that's going to point that out is when we go out and we do it wrong and when we make mistakes, but God even uses our mistakes. You know, the scriptures say that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That's even our mistakes. 
And you recognize bad motivations when they've been bad because you've done it. You've been out there. But it's one thing to sit at home saying, well, my motivations are right. I'm not going to go out and do it. But we need to get off of our rear ends and get out there and do it. And, you know, if our motivations are wrong, hopefully our brothers uh, in the Lord will help point that out for us. But uh, don't let that be something to prevent you from doing it, as an excuse for doing it, because, you know, I'm an excuse factory. I think we're all excuse factories. And I can think of lots of reasons. That's what I used to do. Before I ever went out there, I, I found all sorts of reasons why not to evangelize it. But again, it was fear and pride. And so um, I think the important thing is just to go out and do it. I've taught a lot of evangelism classes and, and talked to a lot of people who they know all the right things to say. They, they've been in church. They know way more than enough doctrine and things they need to know about what they would say in an evangelism conversation, but they do not do it. And they will tell me, I'm just afraid that I'm going to mess up. And so if you're thinking that today, I just want to assure you, you are absolutely right. You will mess up. You will totally mess up and you'll mess up more than once. But you just got to try it again and just realize that God saves people in spite of your failures. And no matter how poor of an evangelist you might be, if you just stick with it and do it again, just like anything else, you, you just continue to be faithful to the Lord and, and press on and be obedient to the call to reach the lost. And your failures will, will be things you'll look back on someday and say, yeah, I messed up in that area, but praise the Lord, he's got me through it. And now I'm, I don't mess up in that same way anymore. I think what happens to a lot of people, and I recognize it because this was me as well, is that we see somebody doing it wrong or maybe with a wrong motivation or doing it different than we would do it. And that gives us a reason not to do it. Because look, I'm working with Living Waters now. People know that we have different methodologies. For the first time in my life, I was somebody who was doing the painting, and that's what you were doing. And I've never done that before. I don't even know if I would do that again. And I know that, you know, Ray and I have different methodologies, but I know that he loves the loss when he goes out there. Mm -hmm. And so many times people are at home criticizing people for how they're doing it. And I, and I know that, you know, Ray has got it from other people. I've heard it before. But one thing that he says that, you know, I, I think is, is really impactful is I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not. That's right. And, you know, so if people are going to be critical, fine. This is the first thing that I ask them. I say, look, I'm not beyond correction. Show me how you do it. And they say, well, I don't evangelize. doesn't mean I can't be critical of you. Of course, it doesn't mean you can't be critical. And, you know, I want to be corrected from Scripture, but it's sure uh, a lot nicer to be criticized from somebody who puts their arm around you and says, look, this is the way that we do it according to Scripture, and this is, might be helpful for how you do it. So instead of turning into a critic or instead of just not doing it, you know, hopefully love on your brothers. And um, if you have some advice to give, do it in a way that honors the Lord. Now, today we were out in the street and we were uh, interviewing people and we ran into some uh, Christians. And one of the things you spent some time encouraging the, the Christians that you ran into, you, you basically were encouraging them to preach the gospel. It seems like there's so many Christians, who I believe are Christians, who do not. What would you have to say to them? Or what were you saying that, to them today on the street? One of the reasons that I was encouraging uh, other Christians to share the gospel with other Christians is because a lot of Christians don't know the gospel, or people who profess to be Christians don't know the gospel. And I think that's one thing that will be clearly seen when they try to share the gospel with other people. And it's one thing to say, yes, I'm a Christian and I believe the gospel, but then when you try and articulate it to uh, other people, that's when you see you know, how weak your gospel presentation is. But another reason that I encourage people to uh, share the gospel is you know, Romans 10, 14. 
How then will they call on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we're commanded to go out and preach the gospel that God uses that to bring in his people. That's why we're commanded to do it. And I think that we need to know the gospel. And the problem is as well, you know, I know that you have something to say on this as well, but I think that there's people out there. Um, one of the first times I went out was with my friend Dustin, and he was talking about hell. And he had this um, professed atheist come up to him, and he was furious. And he said, are you trying to tell me that most of this people, most people in the world are going to hell? And he said, sir, I think most people in church are. And the guy calmed right down, and we had a wonderful conversation because he saw the hypocrisy in the church. Now, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but when you ask somebody what the gospel is and they can't articulate it, then I think that's problematic. And, you know, one thing that was very helpful, that there was somebody who professed to be a Christian or professed to believe these things, but then when we got into the details of the gospel— you know, he showed some weaknesses. And I think, you know, how you, what you shared with him, I think that I'd like you to share this on the podcast with a fellow whose name was Poopy. <laughs> Poopy, that was his name. Yeah, this is a family show, but since it was his name, we can say the word Poopy. Yeah, so there was a, a uh, surfer today, and Sai was witnessing to him, and he was cussing. He told Sai straight out, he's not going to repent. There were just a lot, a lot of indicators this guy really doesn't, care about God, other than the fact that he was basically like, yeah, me and the man upstairs, were cool, that kind of thing. So Sai reminded me of an illustration that Tony Miano used a lot and that Sai used a lot, and so I kind of twisted it in, into my own version. Poopy is a uh, professional surfer, according to him. He has a big Instagram following, and so I'm, I'm sure you could uh, find him if you wanted to. <laughs> I'm kind of curious now, but tell him what you used to do so that you know, there's a term that you use with this fellow, and he recognized it immediately because of your history. And I think a lot of people don't know your history, and I think it's fascinating. It's really cool. So I, I would hope that you include this in the story. All right. So I was a uh, professional BMX rider back in the day, back in the uh, glorious 80s. And a term we used to use was the term poser. And in a lot of extreme sports, skateboarding, BMX, surfing, the word poser is just a common word, and it basically means that's a kid. He might have a really good brand-new BMX bike. He might have all the clothes and the gear and the right shoes, but he doesn't know how to ride. And so this is kind of a universal California term that basically means you're, you're all talk or you're all look and you, you're no action. And so what I said to Poopy is I said, hey, I said... <laughs> What was your name, Scott? That just, I gotta put a, I gotta put like an R rating on the show. <laughs> so, uh, so what I said to, to Poopy was, hey, what if I was to walk up to you and I had a surfboard under my arm and I had the latest board shorts and I was walking up to you and I said, hey, bro, I, I'm a surfer too, man. I, you know, can I tell you about the way I surf? And when I said the word surf, Poopy's eyes kind of lit up like, okay, this guy's now talking about something important. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> silly, but. I said, I said uh, yeah, the way I surf is I go down to the beach and I, I stick my board into the sand and then I go out into the water and I just do a handstand underwater and I, I dangle my feet above the waves and that's surfing. And right away, Poopy just looked at me and he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he totally got it. And I, and I said, yeah, um, I would be a poser. And I said, so why is it that when I'm talking to you and you say you're a Christian, but then you go on to describe your life in all these ways that are absolutely showing that you're not a Christian and that you're in fact a poser, why should I believe you? 
And it really resonated with him because I was speaking poopy talk, I guess. <laughs> so, so clearly he got it. He, he got the analogy as soon as you were laying it out that what you were describing was not surfing. And then he clearly got the analogy that what he was describing was not Christianity. And, uh, you know, I just love how uh, you California boys could be talking shop there. I thought it was great. Well, I'm sure if I was in uh, Canada, I wouldn't know what to, <laughs> how to use a maple leaf in a terminology or whatever. But, you know, another thing that was interesting is there were a few times today when you were interviewing someone and right away they said they were a Christian. And you said, can you explain the gospel to me? And there were some, I believe they were Christians, but they fumbled, they stumbled, they, they kind of fumbled their way with your help through what the gospel was. And then some, obviously, they had no clue what it was. How, how common is that? How common is it that you run into a professing Christian, and oftentimes they probably are Christian, but they just can't, for whatever reason, they just can't give you a clear, concise definition of what is the gospel? I think that happens a lot. You know, we're supposed to have a childlike faith. And so I have no problem, you know, with people who are on the street who love the Lord, who know that he died on the cross for their sin. And they might have difficulty articulating what sin is, why it's sinful. And I think a lot of times it's because the world has duped them into professing something that they don't really believe. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I quit my job uh, over 11 years ago, because I would watch people professing their faith in God and teaching people how to defend their faith and talking about a probability I mean, in church, we talk about a certainty, and then we go out and talk about a probability. So I think that these people genuinely know the gospel, or they know what Christ has done for them, but they end up having talking points that are consistent with what the world is saying. Because I would say that in the high 90 percentile, uh, people who teach people how to defend their faith end up talking about a God that we don't even believe in. And that's the world wants what, what the world wants to hear, and I think the world has duped us into professing something that we don't really believe. Because when I would be specific as to what sin is and why it's absolutely necessary that God is the absolute foundation by which we judge what is sinful and what is not sinful, the true Christians, the people that we met on the street, they agreed with it. They had no problem with that, and I think they just brushed away the silly notions that they might have had from the world, and they say, yeah, this is what I believe. So I do believe that they believe it, and sometimes they're just not able to articulate it. There are a lot of Christians who genuinely, I believe they genuinely want to evangelize. They have friends, they have family that they they would love to see come to Christ. They would love to explain the gospel to. What would you say to them just to encourage them to just uh, just just do it? I would encourage them to read their Bible and believe what it says. Now, I read this book um, many years ago, and I think that if I would read it today, I would disagree with much of what it said because I understand Reformed theology better. But one thing the fellow said, the book was called Blue Like Jazz, and the reason he called it that is because he used to hate jazz music. But he saw a jazz musician, I think he was playing a saxophone for like 50 minutes with his eyes closed, and he never opened his eyes. He played it that whole time, and he realized that this man really loved the music he was playing. And after that, this fellow who this fellow who wrote this book said he loved jazz music. He said, sometimes you have to see some somebody love something so much before you can love it yourself. And that's why I know I said it earlier, but you gotta find an Eddie Roman. Find somebody who loves the Lord, who loves the lost, who loves you, and who loves the word. And I would encourage you to read your word and actually believe what it says. And if you do that, then you'll be motivated and you'll be equipped to go out and, and preach to people. Because even today, my predominant thought when I was out there uh, talking with people is that I need to read my Bible more. 
And if you are equipped with the knowledge of the Word of God, you can go out there and you can defend your faith and you could do it easily. I have a sermon out there on YouTube. It's read your Bible, believe what it says. And, you know, hopefully do that. Find somebody who's like-minded and then hopefully that will be... Um, and pray about it as well and, um, you know, hope that that will be sufficient encouragement to go out and, um, and evangelize to the lost. So, again, one last time, Sai, people need to get a hold of you, get a hold of your materials. Where is it they, they can find all that online? My website is proofthatgodexists.org. They can contact me there. And um, I also have a Facebook page uh, under my name, Sai Tembrunke. I think my public page is Sai Tembi because I'm maxed out on my friends list. I don't, I don't know why that is. But, yeah, you can uh, send me messages through there. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can answer any short questions you might have. <laughs> All right, Sai. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast and for being our first official guest. I'm honored, brother, and um, thanks for having me here, too. Oh, do you know why I did this, by the way? Because uh, Eddie's wife made keto brownies for me, so they bribed me with keto brownies. But I think I would have done it anyways, but that sure helped. I think half of the Christians in California are on the keto diet right now, but that's that's another podcast and not one that I care about. So <laughs> thanks again, Sai. Thanks for listening to Roman's Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time.